Want to exhibit your work? BFF doesn't exist without artists. BFF will help you get in contact with neighborhood businesses and spaces and guide you through any other help you need. Start the conversation at BFFOmaha.org. BFF is dedicated to supporting the region's emerging and established artists by creating opportunity, exposure, and experiences that help them move forward while enriching the cultural competency of the greater Omaha area. BFF to the arts, BFF to the community, BFF. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I am Tom Noblock. We're back with another exciting episode where I am doing my best to try to track down some of the cast and crew of the hit play Red Summer, which is currently completely sold out at Blue Barn. Um, I believe when I talked to Bofield Berry for last week's episode, it had not sold out yet. They, I or maybe they had sold out, but they were adding shows. But basically, you got uh, you know you got Red Summer and you have Hamilton, and they are both completely selling out and setting Omaha on fire at the moment you know so to speak and you know you got uh it's interesting to see that it's interesting to see what shows are really resonating with people here omaha ranges from i think snobby to disinterested in arts a lot of the time and i talked today with my guest who's actor radel cordell the third about how there is a lot of interesting stuff happening here but sometimes you don't know if anyone's going to notice you don't know if it's going to get enough attention that people can get paid or that there will be the recognition that's often deserved. And so what often becomes passion projects is difficult to actually turn into a profession and a job. And that's something that often is pushing people to leave Omaha. And Ray Dell is in a situation like several other people we've talked to on the show where it seems like, okay, once you get good enough, where do you go from the top at Omaha? And Red Summer seems to be the top, right? I mean, how do you how do you follow that first of all? And then what do you do? What do you do next to try to recreate some semblance of the high that they must all be going through? So, talk to Bowfield. Uh I absolutely if you can somehow get if you can somehow get a ticket. I don't know if it's like Hamilton in the sense that you can like scalp if are there scalpers who just like did they buy them all and there's like a $4,000 ticket to Red Summer online maybe. Uh you know, it, it's maybe not something you should uh, go broke completely over, but it is a fantastic play. It's really, you know, setting Omaha, you know, on a sort of specific track of confronting something that's very uncomfortable. Uh, And it's, it's always impressive to me when people choose to face something that will not make them feel escaping, you know, the, the escapism, the pleasant, element of like I don't have to worry about the world it's it's much easier to watch some dumb comedy than it is to confront the reality and not to say I mean there's all kinds of great comedies out there I love comedies I like I saw this Joker movie and I'm thinking to myself you know that's just unpleasant at a certain level and I don't know that I'm really enjoying this and people say well, not everything has to be pleasant and I, that's true but there's an element where not everything is unpleasant in a way that feels nourishing to the soul and Red Summer is one of those rare plays that I think achieves that and it would not be possible without the amazing cast. So that's why I thought, well, I should probably track down some of these actors and get them on here to talk about it. And so first one in that series of hopefully probably several is Raydell Cordell III, who has been doing all kinds of Omaha productions. Uh, sounds like his entire life, basically. Um, and he's a very, very versatile actor. I think he, he seems to think of himself as even maybe more limited than he actually is, but I've only seen him in two plays and uh, just the sense I got from him in both of those is radically different. And so I was really excited to get the chance to talk to him today. And he's a great guy. 
he thinks he's not funny, but uh, you know, you, you'll see. He's he's a funny guy. He's he's got that in him. I think he thinks he's putting effort into it, but I don't, I don't know. He, he's a funny man. In addition to being a serious person, I think he's one of those serious funny people or a funny serious person. Maybe that's what it is. He knows how to be funny, sort of effortlessly, even if he thinks of himself as never cracking a joke. And I think it was a great conversation. I really loved talking to him. As I said, I don't know if you can actually see Red Summer. Like, if you're locked in right now, congratulations, you made it. Uh, Otherwise, hopefully, at some point, there's maybe another iteration of it. At the very least, you should be aware of what this play is and check out Ray Dell and everything else that he's going to. But in the meantime, please enjoy my conversation with Ray Dell Cordell III, talking about his new play, Red Summer. So, okay, so you're from Omaha originally? Yep, born and raised. Okay, and you never uh, wanted to leave, or you just decided you like it? or? Uh, well, yeah, I, I, okay, so <laughs> um, just from where I'm at right now in my life, uh, you know, uh, I just haven't had the opportunity to move. Right, yeah. Um, and especially as an artist, I'm at a point in my career where, like, now I need to move. Um, because don't get me wrong, Omaha is definitely a, a growing, um, uh, has, has a growing art scene, um, but it's just not quite there. So mm-hmm. as um, an artist and specifically as an actor, um, I, a professional actor, I need to be able to be in an environment where I could grow more and see more and learn more. Um, and actually, I am planning to uh, move uh, next fall. Next fall. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, to some extent, it seems like there's a lot of cool art happening here, but there's not a lot of money in the arts right. And that's and that's And that's the thing, you know. Um, and every artist, that's kind of a struggle because it's like, all right, do uh, – should I make that move and, you know, so I can be able to be compensated for my art because, you know, we're, and we're some of these other uh, actors and artists because uh, we take our craft very seriously. Right. Like, you know, uh, we want to spend time on it. We want to learn and grow. Um, I mean, that's all part of the process. And it would be nice to be compensated because we're putting the work into it. Right. You know? Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I love Omaha. I'm a, again, I'm a proud Omaha and, and, um, and it's definitely a city I'm, you know, going to come back to because this is my home. Mm-hmm. Um, but just for the track I'm heading in, the, the trek I'm heading in, I need to be able to move so I can have that kind of experience. Right. Well, I mean, something like – it makes me think of that line in Red Summer where it's something like, Omaha, it's not for everyone, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Which is, you know, yeah. It's a huge laugh. It, oh, exactly. You know, because, you know, it plays back to with, you know, with Ricketts and everything. And so with the recent – with the change of the slogan of, of Nebraska. You right, know? yeah. Um, and that's the thing. It, it, it's not, but it's still home, though. Right. Like, you know. Well, and so, okay, I, I'm thinking – I think the first time I saw you act actually was – were you in it was uh it was at the shelter belt it was a reading of a play i want to say you played some kind of inspector and you had some sort of monologue about ants or something oh yes 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 uh that was the uh, lost bicycle yes uh which is written by uh colleen kilcoin right i almost talked to her then she moved she she moved to chicago and it's funny because i just saw her this past weekend actually Uh, she was in town for the weekend um and i absolutely adore her she she's a phenomenal and very talented individual um, and so, yeah, so she wrote this play, uh, which is a very powerful play. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, she asked me to participate in that. And that was a, a pretty cool experience. Yeah. Well, you were goofy in that one, right? Yeah. You were kind of comic yeah. relief. Comic relief. Yeah, and so exactly. It, 
at Red Summer when you showed up very early on. I was like, oh, hey, I, I recognize him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then my first imp- instinct was like, oh, he's going to be the funny guy here. Yeah. And like, yeah, there's like moments of levity, but I feel mm-hmm. like you, you've got a lot more gravitas mm-hmm. uh, in Red Th- Summer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and it's funny because uh, I actually get that a lot where a lot of people are like, hey, you're, like, you're, you're just naturally funny or, you know, and I... I personally don't really find myself funny. <laughs> like, I don't find myself as a comedic actor uh, because to do comedy, it's it's, it's a difficult uh, it's, it's a difficult process. You know, you really have to be on your game as an actor because it's all about timing. And some people are phenomenal with timing. Others, ugh, they know <laughs> they can work on it. And I always felt like I was like the latter. Like, I was always like too much in my head trying to figure okay what's funny or what's not funny so it's like you can get there but you have to work on it exactly as opposed to some people it's just right away exactly not even trying exactly okay. um, however when it comes to more serious work uh, I feel that's more um, in my ballpark uh, just because I love connecting to um, others on stage I love connecting to the text and understanding the character mm-hmm. um, and so that's why I'm really into uh, classical theater specifically Shakespeare because it really allows you to look beneath the surface and figure out, okay, what is my character saying? What is my character trying to do? What are they trying to communicate to the other characters on stage? Uh, so I feel more comfortable in that world um, versus, like, comedy. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, even that love of Shakespeare is not something that, like, you don't see a lot of people in Omaha who just have, I mean, there's theater people who love Omaha mm-hmm. or who love Shakespeare in Omaha, but it's not like, I don't know. I, I get the sense. And I don't know if it's true that in bigger cities you're just exposed to high quality Shakespeare a lot. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Omaha, you can find it, but it's not necessarily like the thing. Like when you're a kid, you get exposed to Shakespeare through having to read Romeo and Juliet or something like that. Right, or right. high school productions usually, you know, there's like two kids who can read it right. And do it right. And then yeah. everyone else, you're like, what were they trying to say? Exactly. Yeah. So, like, what was the point when something like that clicked for you? Uh, so, actually, it was early on. Um, so, I'm also proud to call myself a Rose kid okay. uh, because I grew up up at the Rose Theater, which is a children's theater here in Omaha, Nebraska, and one of the largest ones. Um, And they have a phenomenal um, uh, theater for youth program where, uh, you know, you can start taking classes as early as, I mean, pretty much as four-year-old, five years old. And my first class there was uh, when I was uh, 10 in the fifth grade, and that was a production of The Jungle Book, which was a, like, a summer class. And then when I got in seventh grade, they did a Shakespeare production, and it was a Midsummer Night's Dream. And I was very fortunate because uh, my directors, uh, one of them was Kevin Barrett, it was Kevin Barrett and Brian Priestman, but Kevin Barrett has done a lot of work with Nebraska Shakespeare, uh, which is like our outdoor uh, Shakespeare theater uh, that happens in the summertime. They have a year-long programming, but their like main season happens in the summer. And learning underneath Kevin and Brian was a transformative uh, experience because I didn't know Shakespeare prior to that and um, and be able to like read it and then have them like help and they help us like understand it and get the poetry of it um, that just changed my mind and so I just kind of like fell in love with that and then that further went into once I got into high school we did a production of uh, Much Ado About Nothing um, which was a comedy um, mm-hmm. and that was uh a positive experience and that was underneath uh that was underneath uh, kate wig but the one thing about shakespeare is that yes it's introduced to a lot of students in high school um but there's this big argument that you know shakespeare is meant to be performed and not read mm-hmm. um so that being said depending on who your instructor was um 
you can either love Shakespeare or you can hate Shakespeare. Um, and the school of thought is that, okay, so if it's from an English, you know, perspective, you know, you tend to lose the subtext and what the characters are really trying to say and you, and your approach is more analytical. Whereas from um, a theater perspective and actually like acting it, you can see it and you can understand it because the actors are, are, are like master storytellers. So they're really digging deep uh, beneath the text to bring the subtext out and, and make it easy for folks to understand. I mean, yes, you got to train your ear just a little bit, but once your ear get used to it, you pick everything right up. Well, I mean, like to me, when I've had good English instructors who – make me understand Shakespeare. I maybe get to that point where I'm like, yeah. ooh, that is deep. But I yeah. don't necessarily get like this joy or the humanity of it necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you, as a kid even, so you were in seventh grade, you said, when you did uh, yeah. Midsummer, Midsummer Night's Dream, yes. So you had this openness to it. Where mm-hmm. did I mean, where did that come from? Because most kids are like, this is hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get two kinds of kids. One kid thinks like, I don't get it. Something's wrong with me. I can't understand it. Like mm-hmm. I need to figure this out. And other kids just like it doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's where like the theater element comes into play, and that's where Brian Priestman, as the second director, kind of like filled that up. Um, so pretty much, uh, what he did was that he, he he reinforced the ensemble, as in like we are a group of individuals working together to tell a story. You know, um, so it's the idea that we, in sports term, you know, we're part of a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he really made sure that, you know, granted, we're all, you know, um, 12, 13 years old. Um, he made sure that we're all connected, that we were all like in this together, helping each other out. Because at that age, yeah, you have folks who had like this was like the first time doing Shakespeare, you know, mm-hmm. like myself. But then you had some folks who were like hardcore theater kids who were. Uh, been exposed to theater at a very early age so they knew a lot about Shakespeare you know um, and so it was a good mix of uh, of, of pre-adolescent uh, uh, kiddos and Brian Priestman did a really great job to like connect us all together so we can understand what we're trying to say and what we're trying to do and let alone Midsummer is a great story to kind of like do that mm-hmm. because there's three different um, worlds in Midsummer. you have your um fairy world which really stretched the imagination like you know um so we had a lot of fun with like movement and like you know discovering like these animal like creatures and whatnot um and then you had like the athenian world um uh, where you have like which also includes like the young lovers you know um and then you had the mechanicals world which is a group of actors um and so and that allowed us to be goofy and having fun with that so uh so yeah so you really created these three different worlds but connected all of us together so we can effectively tell the story where did the interest in theater come from in general uh so for me it started in uh fifth grade uh so before i took that class at the rose uh uh, i was in science class Uh, i went to king science center and my fifth grade uh science teacher miss moriarty uh we had a a class project where we had to do a report on a famous african-american scientist or inventor for Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where I didn't really understand it as a kid, but you know how you have like different options. Like you can write a book report or you can write a report or you can like build something. Like I always did like the presentation one. I always chose that one. And uh, that year uh, I did a presentation on Garrett Morgan, who was the inventor of the uh, traffic signal. Okay. And uh, I totally 
wore my dad's suit and I made like little traffic signals on a piece of paper and actually had like note cards. And uh, she came up and told me afterwards, she was like, hey, when you get older, you should really invest in theater. Like you should look into theater. And I was like, what? what? I don't, what's theater? You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't understand it. And at the exact same time, my older brother, uh, Charleston, he was in a uh, production of uh, Grease in high school. And he was at Omaha North High School, which is where I ended up going. And so we went to go see Grease. And I was already, like, fascinated by 50s music. I don't know if you remember, but back then they had this thing called, like, uh, like uh, decades, uh, different decades, uh, mix CDs that you could yeah. order. And I remember seeing, like, the infomercial for the 50s. And they would play different samples on, like, it was a commercial. So they would play different samples of different music songs. And I fell in love with that. So I was already, like, interested in <laughs> Where's 50s music. Where does that come from? How, what do you think happened to make you like that kind of music? Yeah, it was just, like, the, the, the poppiness of it. Yeah. Like, you know, it was just something about it just <laughs> made me want to just get up and sing and dance. Like, you Which know. Which were your favorite songs? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I was big into uh, Rock and Robin. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was really big into Rock and Robin. Uh Oh man, my oh my gosh, I'm, I'm trying to remember uh, some Elvis songs. That was pretty fun, um, but yeah. So just so when I was sitting, when I sat in the audience and um, watched Grease, uh, the set design um, had in the middle of the stage. It had uh, uh, Rydell High painted in the middle of the set, and to me, when I first saw that, I was like Rydell, like that's. Like my name Ray Dell, right. and a lot of people will call me Ray Dell before they found out. Like, oh, it's Ray Dell, so I will I will get called Ray Dell a lot. So I remember sitting, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's just like my name. And I'm like, is this a sign? Like, is this something I should like look into? And yeah, and I, and, and since then it was history. So I just kind of like fell in love after that. It seems like you had uh, maybe an advanced sense of being able to actually know what you liked. I feel yes. like a lot of kids. They kind of, it's like the pressure. It's like, I think I like this thing because mm-hmm. everyone around me likes it. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like kids watch dumb sitcoms just because everyone around them is watching it. And they're like, nobody even laughs at it. But it's just like, yeah, I guess this is what I like because that's what everyone's doing. Exactly. But you seem to be less pressured by that. Mm-hmm. What, what do you attribute that to? Oh, I attribute that to actually uh, my family, um, my parents, uh, because they were always about getting us involved. And I was the youngest of four, and uh, my older siblings, they were very involved in sports, especially my older sister. She did volleyball, she did cheerleading, she did track and field. Like, she was, like, always gone. And so there was a period of time where my parents were like, okay, we got to find something for you to do. And being a 90s kid in OPS, I remember that we would get these little um, brochures, which advertised, like, summer and after-school classes for um, sports. Mm-hmm. And on the front cover, it was, like, gymnastics and swimming and karate. You know, uh, and you can take these uh, uh, classes, you know, throughout the city, depending on where you live. And I tried that. Like, I did karate for a, a period of time. Did not like that. Uh, I was into gymnastics for a little bit, which was pretty fun, but I did not stick with it. Um, then I did football. And so I got into football, and it was for the uh, North Omaha Bears. Um, and that's something my older brother was heavily involved. And I I remember at practice one time, I just did not like it, you know, because I was always a big kid, you know, and I was the nose guard. I was That was my position. And so I was, like, right there front and center, and I will always just get tackled constantly. And I'm like, this is not fun. 
Like, I do not find joy in this whatsoever. Um, yeah, and I, and I remember just walking off the field, which my dad was upset because, you know, he was just like, no, you need to get back out there right, and do yeah. this. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> it's not. You know. and, and I was, and that's when I was, and that's when I became stubborn. Like, you know, I was always a, you know, positive and optimistic kid, but if there's something I did not connect with, like, I did not do it. And that's so true today. Like, if it doesn't gel with me, I'm not going to do it. Um, and so, yeah, and so, um, and then they were like, okay, we need to figure something out. And then, yeah, fifth uh, grade, I did the the uh, the project, and then saw Greece, and then yeah, that summer I enrolled in the uh, summer being a summer play. Would you, I mean, do you think it's a lack of competition? Like you don't get into that competitive spirit that was a problem for some of the sports? Uh, no, I just didn't find the like. I just I just didn't find the joy of it. Like I just didn't like how everything was like aggressive. Mm-hmm. You know, because I wasn't an aggressive person, and I'm not an aggressive person. Um, and and I think that's what it was. It was just the idea like I don't understand why I have to, you know, fully tackle this other individual. Like I just did not understand that and I just didn't like it. Um, when I did karate for a period of time, you know, I get now as an adult that, you know, self-defense, that, that's good to have. But at that early age, it was just more like the discipline part. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, why do we keep doing the exact same, like, you know, movements over and over and over? Like, you know, because I had a lot of energy. And so I couldn't really, like, sit still or be focused for that period of time. So then I was disengaged uh, from that perspective. Are you easily bored? Uh, yes. You think yes. that's part of it, too? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. That is definitely part of it, yeah. So, like, I mean, a, you know... With theater or specifically, I mean, definitely Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. there's that element of problem solving. Exactly. Trying to figure out what's going on here. I mean, first of all, you have to understand the language. Mm -hmm. You know, what some of these words mean? Because, you know, we don't use most of those words anymore. And so trying to say, okay, what is happening in this scene? And then uh, the part that really, like, attracted me was like, okay, well, if I was this character or if I was in this situation, how would I respond? on to it how, how, how would my imagination take over you know uh, because I was always interested in people you know and, I'm, and I still am interested in people and I always want to know what people like how they feeling what they think and you know I love connecting with other individuals so as in as a person I was always connected to a character you know and like why is this character like this why are they doing these things you know mm-hmm. um which that also plays into uh, I'm a big superhero fan, and specifically uh, the Marvel Universe. I, I think, you know, Stan Lee and the Marvel Universe, they do a good job. In, well, he did a good job in creating these characters who were human, who were real, but then, you know, had these powers bestowed on them, and then them trying to figure it out. Like, okay, I'm human. But I have these powers now, you know, um, especially like with X-Men, you know, like I was fine, but then I hit puberty and developed these mutant powers. What does this mean? How am I going to respond to this? How am I going to react to this? You know, and I always found that fascinating. You, so were you drawn to the existential crisis in these characters then? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, exactly. Because, yeah. you know, it's like because we all have problems, you know, we always experience, you know, different trials and tribulations. And I feel what makes a person um, uh grow from them is like how you handle it mm-hmm. uh one of my best friends uh right now uh is a, is a gentleman named reed weber uh he's a PE teacher at the uh, elementary school i teach at um and he taught me this little equation which i'm like like a big fan of and i tell folks about it it's a uh, e plus r equals o so you have the event plus the response which equals the outcome the event is something you have no control over 
at all. You know, whatever happened, happens. But what you do have control over is the response. And however you respond to that, which then equals the outcome. Um, and, you know, we were just kicking back and talking one day. And he said that to me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that just blew my mind. I mean, that makes <laughs> perfect sense, you know. And that's something I definitely, like, was aware of but not like not really aware of the equation but the idea that I've always had that growing up you know you know because sometimes there's things that's out of, out of our control that we you know we can't control um but if you respond to it and being a person who's always been a positive and optimistic individual then it seemed like my outcomes my outcomes were always positive and optimistic so but so you seem like you were a pretty thinky kid then, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was in my head a lot because so I was as young as a four, so I was left to my own devices a lot because it was just too loud. You couldn't take over. Well, that and just um, I felt my parents were just busy focusing on the older siblings because yeah. they had a lot going for them, and it was just more like I just I was left to my own devices, you know. And now as an adult, I will talk to my mom and I'd be like, "No, I'm just reflecting." Like, what was I like as a kid? You know, and she, one day she actually told me, she's like, I don't remember. And she was like, and honestly, like, cause you were fine. Like you, you seem to get life. Like you, you were always mature for your age, you know? So I always had to spend time on your older sister or your older brother. You know, I even had teachers who told me that they were just like, Oh yeah, you're fine right now. Like you, you get it. You, we can't worry about you because you got to worry about other folks. But in some sense that's infuriating too. Yep. You know? You're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm mature, but I still want your attention. Well, I want you exactly, yeah. and so that's that, and that's a little bit of like the theater side too. Is like, come on, like I, <laughs> I need help too. I need guidance too. Like, yeah, sure, I may have a good grasp on it, but you can still guide me. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't have it all figured well, exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah, like I don't want to fall through the cracks. <laughs> that's exactly it. So, I mean, do you think then the push toward doing presentations was a way to just get that attention? Exactly. Then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and and mind you, it wasn't like that negative like not in a negative aspect like look at me i need attention right now it was more so okay what can i do um to help push myself and then if i do get the attention or the feedback then i can really grow so it's the idea of a two-way street like i'm going to do my job to put the work into it um because i have incredible work ethic but then you know if 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 i give you some i need you to give me some so Mm -hmm. it's like if i do this and i i will like feedback you know uh i'm a words of affirmation guy you know i just need to know that i'm on the right track that i'm doing well you know and we don't have to go in detail about it you know i mean i would love to but if you if you just give me a thumbs up like exactly dude or yeah you're you're heading the right way that's all i need you know i'm like great (laughs) i mean would you say that you were an introspective kid i mean were were you were you shy and quiet to some extent until you got that platform yeah yes i was it was it was early on um so uh i reached out to my first grade teacher actually uh through facebook um because there was a process where i was like you know i'm looking i'm going to graduate school for theater and so one thing graduate programs for uh theater one of the things they uh ask of you is you know you know who you are as an individual and as an artist you know and so i did a lot of self-reflection and so i reached out to one of my first grade teachers and kind of with my mom, I was like, hey, Miss Paul, uh, so what was I like as a as a student? You know, uh, how did I add? What was like what was I like in the classroom? You know, because, I re- yeah, I remember some moments in the first grade, but not everything, you know. And now as an educator and I work with students, it's kind of like, oh, OK, so you were that kid or you were that kid, you know. Um, and, 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 and she straight up said she was like, I was I'm actually surprised you're an actor because you were a shy kid. You were a sweet kid. 
very nice, very well behaved, but you were you were to yourself, like you were shy and quiet a lot. And I was like, really? And and now like here I am, you know, full grown up and like, you know, here's I'm a pre I have a presence, you know, yeah, like like you said, yeah. gravitas and whatnot. Yeah. So yeah. And she was like, I would never guess that. <laughs> would you never say guess that. I mean, are you extroverted now, would you say? Oh yes, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 definitely an extrovert. And, you know, it's one of those things where in okay, so in third grade, so I went to Mountain View Elementary. So all like I went to all uh, OPS, all my public schools. So I went to Mountain View Elementary, and then what happened is that uh, the summer between my third grade and fourth grade year, uh, King Science Center uh, became one of the first magnet schools here in Omaha, and so they did like a lottery where uh, uh, they just drew kids from all over the city um, so they can go to the fourth through eighth grade center, and um, I was one of the kids who got selected to go. Which at the time was a tough transition. I was like, I don't want, I don't want to go down there. I want to, I want to be here in my home, you know, my community um, right. school. Um, but I think that actually helped me a lot in being more of an extrovert because a, I was forced into a situation where I had to meet like pretty much brand new friends, like you know, so because I was like, I think it was like one another person like from my school that got accepted to go. Um, so here I am now going from a school that only had two classrooms per grade to a school that had five classrooms from fourth through sixth grade. And then the seventh grade was just your typical middle school. So I met a lot of new people, um, when I transferred over to King, um, which kind of like, you know, made me like, just be more like, okay, well, I, I need to find friends. Like I cannot be here alone, you know? Um, and so I kind of like just took the initiative to befriend folks and talk to people. And then over time that just developed into me just being a leader. Uh, Cause I was always kind of like a leader in the classroom where uh, the teachers always gave me extra responsibilities and like, you know, um, so kind of just like, so I kind of like grew into it pretty much. Were you funny? I, I, apparently I was, yeah. I didn't think I was playing. In fact, like I said, I thought I was a serious person. Like, cause I was always like, I want to work hard. I want to do well. Like, right. you know, it, it's to a point where like, I realized as an adult that I definitely had anxiety as a kid, but I didn't think about that as a kid, you know, cause I was always want to make sure that I did a good job, you know, which, so, which, which is the anxiety. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I, cause like an easy way to make friends and get people to listen to you is to be funny. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you were probably smart enough to figure out like, mm -hmm. eh, this will be a little easier if I can crack a joke. Yeah. A witty like maybe not class clown levels yeah not class clown. it was it, it was more so it, i took the nice route mm -hmm. like i was always dependable you know i was always like you know could you do this yes i can definitely do this you know um i was like every time we there was a new student that came i was the one who got paired up with the new student to show him around and you know show him the ropes and whatnot um so i was i, th I think not more so like the class clown because i definitely because i was a good student like i was very well behaved didn't get detention, didn't get like, you know, in-house suspension or anything like that. Um, but I was just always present and always like nice. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, then that's, you start to develop that extroversion. You start to kind of figure out what you want to do. Mm -hmm. When does it start to manifest that theater as an actual future was something you wanted to pursue as opposed to just like a hobby, like a sport would have been? Um, it was, uh, to be honest, that didn't start until high school. Okay. Um, so I met Brian Priestman, um, my seventh grade, when I did the Midsummer Night's Dream. And he pretty much was like my first like theater mentor. And he actually still is my theater mentor. But um, 
in high school, I did more classes at the Rose, and I was uh, I did a high school internship my senior year, and which mainly focused on theater education. That's how I got into theater education. But as I had conversations with Brian, you know, he he was the one who told me about graduate school, and I didn't know that you could go to graduate school for theater. You know, I I slowly thought that theater was just like a high school thing, and that's it. And then if you want to be an actor, you had to move to Hollywood or New York and just go from there. Um, and, and so with that being said, when he said I I could go to grad school, I was like, oh, so there are individuals who really take this seriously, like as, like as a job, as a craft, like, you know, and so I was like, great, I think I'm, I'm in that boat then because I definitely have strong connection to it because throughout high school, um, I was involved in doing drama club and did the plays there, um, my junior year and senior year I did show choir. And so I was always like in that performant element, you know? Mm Um, and I was like, well, I've gone this far, you know, I'm going to just stick with it, you know. Uh, and then I went to UNO and joined the uh, theater program there. And, and yeah, and the rest is history. Did you ever take any classes with uh, Charlene Willoughby? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I took intro to theater yeah. there uh, many years ago. Yes. And I was in, we got to the, I think the final project was everyone had to write a one act script mm-hmm. and then somebody would get assigned to direct it. I think you could request to direct your own. And so I wrote one and then I requested to direct it. And then, you know, you didn't get to pick your cast or crew, really. And okay. so you got random people in the class who would be in your cast. You got one set designer. And so we're going through, we're preparing it. And then uh, somewhere along the way, one of my actors drops out. And so it's oh. like, okay, well, I guess I have to act in this now, too. So I'm acting, and it's like, okay, I'm not really that much of an actor, but I'll figure it out. You know, yeah. we'll figure something yeah. out. We go through, we get to about a week before the actual performance. And I realized that my set designer, who I've been talking to this whole time, doesn't actually really speak any English. <sighs> Uh, he, I think he was like a South Korean immigrant or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, like he would just kind of like nod when I would talk to him. And so I just thought we were on the same page. And yeah. at some point he, re- like, I realized, oh, he has no idea what he I'm saying. He has no idea. Yeah, like yeah. he's doing his best. He's probably just terrified that he's going to like <laughs> fail the class. And so it turned into this huge mess where I'm like trying to direct, make, put, you know, throw together a set. Yeah, I yeah. have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. She was, yeah, she was my teacher in that one. So after that, I was like, I don't know if theater is really my world. Oh uh, man. Yeah. Char is such a wonderful individual. Uh, my first interaction with her actually was uh, my freshman year. Um, so I was cast in. The, so you know, structure of theater season is usually two shows in the fall and two shows in the spring. Um, and so I was cast in the second show of the fall, which was Mother Courage and Her Children. And Shara was assigned as uh, she was the uh, I think she was a costume designer. Um, but if she wasn't a costume, I'm sorry, I can't really remember. If she wasn't a costume designer, her position at UNO is the costume shop manager. So she was in charge of like the costume shop at UNO. And every now and then she would design. And so uh, my first college show, because uh, be, you know, being a bigger kid, um, I have wide feet. So I wear a size 13 wide. Um, which she did not have a 13 wide <laughs> boot for me for the show. And so uh, so she had to order a pair, but I guess the pair like came in late. So for opening for opening weekend, I had to wear a size, I think 12 was the biggest one they had. And then pretty much by the time that last show, the first weekend, uh, my foot just busted out of the side <laughs> of it. And it was one of those moments where like she felt so bad, but it was also super funny right. because – just me being me, like, I stuck with it. Like, you know, I'm like, well, hey, it's this theater. It happened. You know, I'm not going to be like, ah, this is horrible. Like, you know, I made a positive situation, but we just laugh at it now. Was that in the middle of the production that that happened? Yeah, it was right. It was, it was the, uh, because we were around for two weekends. So it was at the end of the first weekend. So it was pretty much, we went through a whole entire week of tech week, which, um, 
is where we add all the technical elements mm-hmm. into the show. Um, so we have costume, light, sound, all that jazz. And so by the time that Saturday, uh, halfway through the last, the, that, that, that halfway through the Saturday performance, that's when it happened. So I had to go through the last half of the show with my feet busted out. I mean, was was any attention drawn to that? Was it like a dramatic, like a wolfman? Like- no, no, not at all, <laughs> okay. not at all. all right. But it was just kind of like, it was obviously busted through, though. <laughs> So, I mean, okay, so you're going to UNO, mm-hmm. and what were some of the main plays that you did there? Like, what were the big moments for you? Oh, man. Um, so, okay, well, if I would say this, because uh, on top of my head, um, my fourth year, so quote-unquote senior year, but it's college, you know, um, my fourth year there, uh, we did A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, so you're and, back to that. It's like full oh, circle. buddy, like, Midsummer Night's Dream is definitely my favorite play of all times. I've done that play six times now. I'm 32 years old now, and I've done that play six times. And usually when I do that play, it usually is like a turning point for me in my life. So my fourth year at UNO, um, when we did that production, like that's when I started to understand, like, okay, I'm turning into an adult. Like, I need to be responsible for my craft. Um, so, you know, because, you know, one thing about novice actors is that's you know, we have horrible work ethic. Like, yeah, I, I'll put off memorizing my lines or I, I won't fully connect with my scene partner um, or I don't fully connect with the text. You know, there's a lot of lazy hab- habits with novice actors. And Miss Summer, um, I was cast as, that production I was cast as Oberon and Theseus. So, you which is typically a role that is double cast. Um, so, an actor will play both of those characters. And... Um, I remember I was kind of like, oh, this is this is a lot of work, you know, um, and not to mention at the exact same time, I was president of the fraternity I was in. Um, so I had a lot on my plate. And so I really had to make sure that I was staying on top of my schedule and my work, you know, um, which, you know, as any you know college student, you know, you're going to hit some bumps. And I've had a couple of conversations like with the directors and the administration team at UNO. Uh, but that was definitely an eye-opener. Like, okay, if I'm going to be serious about this, I need to be serious. Uh, because soon after that year, I took a little break off from school just because of, like, personal um, finances and just life in general. Um, but went back into it and finished my degree. And that's when I was kind of like, okay, yeah, I, I am an actor. I need to be more disciplined in this field. Why do you think that play is the one that really sort of why do you have such a deep connection with midsummer um because again it, it, I, I typically find myself doing that at major points in my life so mm-hmm. it was my first shakespeare play you know it was a moment when i realized that okay i need to take my my craft seriously mm-hmm. um and the fact that i play a lot of different uh characters in it so i got a lot of different perspectives like from different characters and i kind of like you know get attached to my characters and i always learn from my characters um so it just helped me realize like it helped, it helped me find out who I am mm-hmm. as an artist and who I am as an individual. Is it uh, the because, text itself? Too? Yeah, it's the text okay. and the character. Yeah, just because, again, you have those three worlds, and you know, in, in, in each of those three worlds, you have a wide range of characters that have like different backgrounds and different perspectives um, um, to the story. And that definitely helped me understand or at least get an idea of like who I am. Um, as an individual and as an actor. Um, is that a play that, like, for you has life's secrets in it? Like, you can unlock so many things. Do you get that from it? Um, a little bit. To, it's it's more about um, connection. Okay. It's all about connection, the human connection, you know. Um, 
you have like in the fairy world, you know, you have like Oberon and Titania, which, you know, they're arguing and you have Oberon and Puck, you know, you kind of have like, you know, you help me, I help you. And then, you know, then in the Athenian world, you have like the lovers who pretty much, um, you know, they decide to take initiative and like run away from like the law of Athens, you know, um, and to, you know, go into the woods and to, to, you know, take their lives into their own hands and whatnot. And then you have like the mechanicals who, you know, they may not be the smartest group of people, but they're connected to each other and, and, and they prevail by working together, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you just get a, a wide range of like the human experience, like in that play. And that's the one thing I really liked about it because again, I like to connect with people, you know, I may not truly like, you know, agree with your perspective and your opinions, but I'm going to respect it. You know, I mean, we're all on this earth, you know, together. So let's respect each other so we can all grow from each other. It's always interesting to see which, because it's kind of like there are certain pieces of art that people encounter at different points in their lives that just like that's probably going to shape them in some way. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, do you find that a lot of actors that you know have some similar where it's like a bedrock of this is sort of where, like you're saying, like it helped me understand who I am, helped me understand the world, mm-hmm. even though it itself is not necessarily the deepest play in the whole world or book or whatever it might be. It's like. I can see everything. Like everything's unlocked for me because of my relationship with this work. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I yes, absolutely. Um, and it just depends on that individual and um, the work they relate to. So I'm also I've, I have a lot of friends who are very into musical theater. You know, I love musical theater, but I'm not a strong singer. Um, but you have those individuals who can just like belt and just sing so well. And when they sing some like these ballads or you know some of these show tunes you get a different meaning of that song because one thing they teach you in theater is that, yeah, so, you know, um, don't uh, uh, go ring, uh, don't ring on my parade, um, which is sang by um, uh, Robert Streisand, right? If you're a novice actor, they'll tell you don't audition with that song because you're not Barbara Streisand. You know, you can't do it like her. That's her song and whatnot. But when you do hear it sung by someone else and kind of give their perspective on it and their feeling, you're kind of like, oh, you like you sang that note differently or you put stress on that word with someone else having done that. And it kind of like opens up to a new meeting, you know, mm-hmm. is the idea that as actors is that we try to find a connection to our character. We have to be advocates for our characters because uh, that's the characters we're playing and make it personal to us you know, from our own experiences. And then an audience member will pick up on that and say, wow, you did that line, like completely different how other people would do that line. And you made me see something different with that character, you know, and that's what's cool about performing arts. Have you ever played somebody that was just really despicable or you had trouble connecting with? Uh, not really despicable, but uh, yeah, my current show right now, I'm in uh, Red Summer. Okay. Uh, the character I play of Jed, you know, I, when I first read the script, my thought was, oh, this guy is so weak. Like, you know, and that's coming from someone who, like, I, I pride myself of being a strong individual and always trying to make the right choice. Um, and I don't want to get anything away for those who are going to see the show, but it's the idea that, you know, he could say something. He could have said something to hopefully change it or, you know, change the outcome, but he chose not to. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's just a weak character. So I had a hard time connecting with that and trying to like him. But then one day in rehearsal, it kind of like clicked with me because uh, Bofield was there and our director, Susan and, Barry, Susan and Barry, they were there and we were talking. And it goes back to the story, the context. Like, what's, let's remember, this is 1919. 
you know, so an African-American male at this time, which is whole story is, is, is revolving around Will Brown and what happened to him. But it's, 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 it's the thought like, you know, my character scared, mm-hmm. like straight up. And it's the idea that if he were to say something, he could probably be lynched too, you know, and that kind of like really opened my eyes kind of like, okay, I can't be selfish right now. I'm not trying. I can't say, oh, you know, I, I, I'm a strong character, so I want this character to be a strong character. Well, look at the context and the story that Bofield wrote, you know, and and understand that given the context and given the story, he made the right choice for him. Well, and I think your character <laughs> seems to drive home that just sense of powerlessness. Mm-hmm. While there's all this hate swirling around you, that has power, and right. that's it's irrational. You can't do much about it. And like right. a character like you seems like that's. Bofield trying to emphasize that feeling mm-hmm. or personify it in some mm-hmm. ways. And that was a learning experience for me to understand like, okay, well, always go back to the text. You know, yeah. a lot of directors would tell an actor, go back to the text. Go, be, You know, once the show opens, that doesn't mean that you're done with the, the script, you know. Um, so <laughs> when I did Miss Summer Night's Dream for my fifth time last fall, that was with the Nebraska Shakespeare Fall Education Tour. Um, and that right there is probably one of the best and positive experience I've ever had um, in a production and it's because it was led by Ezra Colon who is a phenomenal director and actor um, and just overall a very humble and passionate um, human being well anyways um, he even said to me one day during rehearsal he was like hey I'm holding you responsible for your craft I'm holding you accountable right and I'm like wow Thank you. Um, and, he, and he said, you know, you're never done with the script. You should never be done with the script. I don't care if it's opening night. You should always go back and read the script. Because the more you read it, you know, and the more you, you know, and not only focus on your lines, but focus on everyone else's lines. And really understand the story. Because as a professional storyteller, that's what we're doing. You know, we're telling the story as effectively as possible, and you know, and yeah, sometimes we get away with that in rehearsals because we're in our heads, you know, we're trying to figure out the technical, the technical, all the technical aspects of it. Um, and then our imagination take over and sometimes we get stuck on choices we already made. But the idea is that this is theater, you know, it's, 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 it's athletic, you know, every night is a new night. You have new people coming in to see that show. So you owe it to them to make sure that you're on your game and you know the story and you just act in the moment. So that's why it is important to go back to the script and read things and find new things every time. There's a, I mean, that reverence, you'd hope it's being paid to a good script. Has there ever been experiences mm-hmm. where maybe you just didn't do a play because you thought like, I don't know if this is, if this has what I need to latch onto it that way. I'm at a point now in my career that I'm able to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll definitely say it's important to always read and always try and do as much as you can because, you know, I, I'm a person, I, I'm an advocate of um, always trying to learn something new. Every time I walk into a project, I always tell myself, all right, what am I going to learn through this production? What am I going to gain from it? You know, because there has been times when I was unfortunately involved in, um, been involved in a negative process, a negative experience. Um, but again, thank goodness I'm naturally positive, optimistic, and may it work for myself. Um, but that does happen. Right. So now I'm at a point where, like, if I do get a script, I will read it. And if I'm just not feeling it, as in, like, you know, I see a lot of, like, maybe trouble spots or I feel this character that was, like, I was offered is something that I'm not ready for, which I ha- which has happened, um, then I will turn it down. Because ultimately I, I don't want to fail in that aspect. 
you know, because I'm a person where I'm going to give it my all. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go that extra mile to read and research and figure this character out. Um, but if I feel I'm that distant from it, or at least I don't have enough life experience to honestly uh, 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 portray that character, then I'm just going to walk away and not worry about that right now. With a play like Red Summer, I mean, how difficult is it to sort of confront just the void of all the... I mean, just that play is heavy. Mm-hmm. And just the reality of it, the tragedy of it, and the relevance of a lot of the themes oh, to yeah. it. I mean, how how do you navigate that? How much does that kind of consume you? Or how much... Like, you, when you do it enough times, is it still retaining that same power for you? Oh, yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah, because it, it is a powerful story. Right. Um, so the biggest thing is that... Um, so I'm also into history, especially Omaha history. Um, so that's when I found out that Bo Phil was writing this and, you know, the Bubar was doing this. I was like, oh, yeah, I got to jump on this just because I knew I knew about this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it's very important, no matter what the story is. And again, Brian Priestman, um, it's very important that the ensemble is there and connected and working together. You know, uh, because if you have a solid ensemble, um, individuals working together, um, then that's going to help tell the story. And also it will help um, us as actors to say, "Okay, we're all in this together. We're all we're all navigating through this icky territory. But along that we're connected and we're working together, we're going to be okay." Because every actor can tell you at the end of that show backstage, we're exhausted. Like, we are emotionally exhausted by the end of the play. But that's okay because we know that we all have our part on in the team and we're working together. So there's that. And there's also the idea of, um, of separation. You know, um, once I'm in the theater, it's like, okay, game on. Like, you know, again... This is what I'm paid to do. I'm a professional actor. I need to tell this story. But once we're done, we're done. Like, you leave it at the theater and try not to let it really affect you um, afterwards because it's heavy. It's heavy mm-hmm. material, you know. And there's some actors who, like, you know, will carry that with them, and it can be damaging. I mean, that was a whole uh, a theory with Heath Ledger, you know, during Dark Knight. You know, like, he took the Joker with him, you know, and that, you know, did a lot of, you know, uh, mental damaging, you know. So really just got to be professional and really have that separation. I mean, but that's that's hard to do, right? Right, I it mean, is. Did you have to teach yourself that? Yes, you do. Okay. Well, teach yourself and just have the experience for it, you yeah. know. And by having the experience, you just got to keep at it, you know, and, and do all these different plays and learn a lot about yourself and what triggers you and what don't trigger you, you know. Um, working with uh, uh, Haley in Red Summer, you know, and – Poor girl, uh, she 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 went through the thick of it, you know, because uh, she had a lot of nasty things to say, mm-hmm. um, and so she was telling me how like you know she has to have that separation, she has to leave it at the theater, uh, because we all know Haley, she's a sweetheart, she's awesome, like you know, uh, but her character in the play is who. You she know. gets gasps. Oh I mean, yeah. The oh whole yeah. Thing. Oh yeah. I mean, there were times during rehearsals where like I had to say, okay, let's take a break. Let's just take a breather. Let's just go outside real quick. Or let's like, you know, let's 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 leave the work here, have a mental break and then come back to it, you know, because because really it's all about that. Um, um, just 
the whole uh, having whole wellness like you know um so having those healthy breaks to be able to separate yourself from the work so you can re- just rejuvenate and then come back into it mm-hmm. and so i mean that's something the whole cast then kind of has to work with uh, like each other you all have to figure out where do we leave it where do we take a break exactly where do we stay really into it exactly and also respecting each other's spaces you know because mm-hmm. there's times when you're backstage when you know okay so this actress like brandy you know who um, played hannah okay this is a powerful scene. She's about to get into it, right? So she had her, she has her own personal prep that she's doing. Like you know, sometimes you see actors like in this corner by themselves, or like you know, or in another corner doing like push-ups or something. Like you know, we all have our own way to prepare to go on stage, and then we all have our own way to like decompress when we leave the stage. I mean, is it? I assume to some extent you do theater because you have fun with it too. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious on a play like Red Summer. You can sense that there's an importance to what you're doing. There is that emotional element. Is it fun when you're in the middle of it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because cause that's the thing, you know, uh, you, again, you have to advocate for your character, right? So you got to find that connection like, oh, this is why I like my character or this is the connection point. And then being connected to your ensemble, like this is why we're doing this. This is why we're up here because not everyone can do this. You know, I hate when people say, well, anyone can act. Well, sure, anyone can act, but not anyone can act well right. and to yeah. really give the story justice. Um, so being up there is just, you get this sense of joy like, this is why I'm doing this. It's the idea that I'm on this stage, I'm playing this character that's, I, that I'm not like nowhere like in real life, but I can have fun with it. I can really use my imagination, you know? Um, so that's, so that's where it becomes fun, you know? Um, and also just theater itself. I'll definitely say I haven't had a whole lot of film work, but you know, the one thing about theater that I love that it demands all of you, you know, cause again, you're on that stage, you're doing these lines, you're having, you're doing these actions. Um, you're telling this story. And if you're not on like on your game, like you will fail, you know? So you have to be focused. You have to be ready to go. You have to be prepared. I mean, you have to be all of that, you know? And then there's this sense of when you're performing on stage, like it just takes over you. I actually learned that through Shakespeare. Um, uh, so performing with Nebraska Shakespeare, which is, you know, uh, outdoors theater, there's something about being on that stage and being an individual where projection is definitely in my wheelhouse, there's something about being on that stage and to really use your voice and use your body and and delivering these old texts to an audience and to a scene partner is is almost like therapeutic, you know, because you're kind of like releasing all of like this energy inside of you, you know. Um, I've always had like you know a lot of energy as I was telling early telling you earlier where I get bored easily and and move around a lot, but to be able to be focused and to be able to say these lines and using your voice to say this poetry is just it just feels so therapeutic like it's just so rewarding it's gotta be addicting to some extent. oh yeah exactly yeah 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 you definitely get high from it well and so red summer is one of those plays where i mean like i've seen a lot of plays where it's like i get it and i like it but they don't necessarily pack that kind of a punch i don't mm-hmm. know if i can remember feelings overwhelmed at the end of a play mm-hmm. as i have with red summer mm-hmm. And I mean, like I said, like I, I told you before, I kind of wanted to go talk to everybody, even invite people on this show. But it's oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't even really find words at that point. You know, it's like I just needed to let this sit in my head for a little mm-hmm. bit. And I actually ended up sitting right behind Bofield. Oh, it. really? And it's like I just I don't know if I'm ready to be even polite and like, you know, go through conversation. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it reminded me in some ways of just how powerful uh, the medium is, you know, mm-hmm. in some ways, because it's like I'm not ready for that kind of emotion 
from anything. Really. Like, you know, like I, I'll watch movies. I'll watch even like a Marvel movie or something. Like you're not going right. to get that kind of a punch. Not at all. Uh, actually, it's funny because my roommate, uh, Aaron Wrigley, he actually, he came and saw the show last Friday. Um, and he said afterwards, he was like, that's theater. That's the reason why theater is important because how it affects you, you know, uh, because one thing about it, and especially the fact that the space it's in, which is Blue Barn, it's it's intimate. You know, you're there in that room. You 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 see the actors, you feel the actors, you hear the breathing, you can see the thought process. And in a way, you're, you feel like you're kind of like involved in the story you know that you're not truly involved because there is a separation, but it's just an intimate setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that being said, especially with this kind of story, it will really affect you because you are from Omaha. You, you live here. So you're kind of like, you're part of this story right. and you know that because these events happened. Yeah. Like afterward, I had to drive home through downtown yeah, Omaha mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. all I'm thinking about is yep. the play. Yeah, all the different parts of downtown. Yeah. You're like, so this is the spot, this is the spot. So it makes it more real, you know, um, where, you know, with film, you know, you just have that screen and everything is fantastical, you know, and whatnot. Um, but Red Summer does a really great job to uh, in telling the story of what happened, um, but also giving the opportunity to make Will Brown a you know, a three dimensional character. You know, is is really having an opportunity to uh, have his story be told. I mean, yes, it's historical fiction. You know. Um, in both field, like she knew that going into it, but she really wanted to make this person a person, like you know, um, and uh, and so audience have the opportunity to be uh, close to Will Brown and understand, like, wow, wow, this is Omaha is messed up, like you know, like this, this is wow, like you know, so yeah, and so and that's theater, like it does that for you. Well, and just, I mean, that ending where it's just almost like the chorus again, we mm-hmm. go back to it. I mean, that, yeah, that just hit me so hard. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so good. I mean, so, I mean, you've done several plays, it seems like, where there's that social element where mm-hmm. there is, it's reflective of real life problems. It's advocating maybe sort of like, you know, that there should, we should be moving past certain issues or at least confronting certain issues in yes. society. Do you yes. think that. Do does art have that responsibility? Should plays in general be doing that, or is it just like some of them should be? Or where do you fall on that? Um, I, I feel there's there's a middle ground. I mean, it goes back to like being an actor. You know, you should always try and grow and learn from every experience. So you know, every play, you know, th- there should be some kind of mission. And rather that mission is to tell this story, and you want your audience to be heavily affected by it. Um, or it can be just be for purely enjoyment, for purely like entertainment, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, because um, people want to laugh and people want to be entertained. So there's definitely a wide range, you know, and I but ultimately I feel like, you know, as a director, if you're taking on a project, you know, you should ask yourself, OK, what am I looking for? What kind of story am I trying to tell? You know, uh, because. If you think about it, that's why Shakespeare is still relevant um, because of the the versatility of it. You know, a director would take this script and say, "Okay, what am I going to focus on? What kind of story do I want to tell? Um, And again, that's why I feel Midsummer is one of my favorite plays uh, because all the options you can do with it, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So the fall education tour I did last fall, we uh, did Midsummer where we uh, switched genders. Um, so, cause we went into schools, you know, we want to question our students, like, what does it mean to play gender and gender performance, you know? So all the love, so like the four main lovers, you know, there's, uh, 
two two men and two women, um, Demetrius, Lysander, and then you have Helena and Hermia. And so what they did, they swapped the genders. So it was um, Demetria and Lysandra, and then you had um, Hermian and Helena's. And one of the things we were, uh, we did that because it was the idea like, okay, what happened if we let women, you know, go after their goal? You know, because traditionally in Shakespeare, you know, the uh, women characters, you know, uh, some are not written well and you know they're 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 more just like uh they don't have a choice and you know they they can't be aggressive they can't go after their goal but if we say no let women go for their goal let them go for the objective what does it mean for women to do that you know uh vice versa what does it mean for men to be vulnerable you know because a lot of shakespearean men are here i am i'm powerful you know i'm the king and whatnot but in this production it was the idea like what does it mean to be vulnerable? What does it mean to have a close relationship with another male character? You know, um, Helena and Hermian um, being like best friends. You know, what does that look like? You know, um, so that so that's kind of cool. You know, so you have the opportunity to you know look at a story and say, what kind of story do I want to tell? You know, and both feel going back to Red Summer is is really cool because she wants to give Will Brown a voice. You know, because the way it the way it turned out, you know, he didn't have a voice, you know, and and that's the reason why this is such a tragedy, you know. Right. Um, so, yeah. So so really, it's the director going into a project and say, all right, what kind of message do I want to get across? And you guys have sold out every single uh, yes. performance at this point, yeah. right? I mean, can they even add any more? Uh, well, we added uh, three shows. Yeah. Uh, we added a second performance to a Sunday show, and then we added two Wednesday performances. Because Wednesday is usually our pickup rehearsals, um, but then we just turned that into performances now. Um, so, yeah, so right now we are absolutely sold out, which I think hasn't really happened in Blue Barn history to this point. Yeah, what do you make um, of that? It's 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 it's. It's, it's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting because it's, it's a story that needs to be told and need to be seen and to be heard, you know, um, because it's so fascinating how many Omahaans don't know this story. You know, know maybe like an element of it. Maybe they've, they've heard of the name, name, but don't really yeah. know what really happened, you right. know. Um, and so that's why it's important where. In addition to the show, Blue Barn has all these different engagement events happening where there's like talkbacks and, you know, um, Lobby discussion, you know, uh, discussion at the courthouse about this topic. Mm-hmm. So audience can be informed that, you know, yes, this really happened. And you understand that a lot of the issues in this play is still relevant today, you know. So it really helped open people's eyes, you know, um, and you do it through theater. Is there, I mean, is this going to be hard to let go in some ways when all the performances are done? Um, yeah. That's 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 for every show, yeah. you know, because you do get attached because you spend like you know you spend time with it, you know, um, especially like the rehearsal process and diving into the script and knowing your character. So naturally, you, you'll get attached. I mean, every actor can tell you they have kind of like a post show depression where it's kind of like, all right, the show's over. Now what do I do? Right. Or like you know, because you get out of your routine, you know. Um, but then after a while, it it it, it you. you it wears off and then you just move forward. Um, but that's why it's important that, you know, you go into a pro, at least from, from my uh, perspective, it's important that when you go into a project, you try to figure out, okay, what am I going to take from this as an individual? How am I going to grow from this? Yes. It's important for the audience to grow when they come see it. But as an actor, I, I need to do service to myself and also understand that I need to grow um, and learn as well. So I can take that and then 
move forward. Do you feel like you want to just do something like light and easy after this? Um, or do you want to stay with this for now? Stay with uh, that energy. That I, 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 I mean, I do like it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like I like telling an effective story. I really do. Um, uh, but I have, I have, I have some gigs already lined up okay. and, um, Legally, I can't say anything just yet, um, but I can definitely say my next gig it will be the opposite. Um, so that that would be a fun transition for me. That's got to be nice, just like emotionally. It's like okay, this one it will not be that same heavy space, right? Every exactly. Day, every night. Yeah. So which which would be challenging for myself as an actor because it's like okay, now let's shift gears here. And because again, my job is to effectively tell this story. And if I'm going to be in this wacky fun world, then all right, game on, let's do it. Like you know. <laughs> so do you have uh, like a social media presence or anything where if somebody wants to find you and what your upcoming gigs are oh yeah absolutely yep so i'm on twitter i love twitter a lot um i'm at raycore3 uh raycore3 um r-a-y-c-o-r number three um and then of course i'm on facebook which apparently a lot of my students are telling me is called uh uh old book um, yeah, yeah, we're old, we're old men. Exactly, it's like, it like all old people are on Facebook. <laughs> you should have an Instagram. Well, I don't have, well, okay, I do have an Instagram, but I'm just not actively on it. I know, it's like, what do I take pictures of? Right, exactly. Well, okay, so my, my social platforms are, I do Twitter, Snapchat, and Facebook. Okay, you that's do Snapchat, all I do. So that's, that's adjacent. I do Snap, yeah, yeah. so that's it, and okay. that's, that's all I have. Um, but I have I have a huge uh, presence, though, on Twitter. I, I, I tweet a lot, you know, so yeah. Nice, okay, well, thank you so much for doing the show today. I wish awesome. you the best of luck yeah. with everything. Thank you so much going. for having me. This was pretty cool, like. Yeah, I like this little setup in here. It's really nice. It's it's somewhere between like gross and cool. I oh no, know. it works. Okay. It's work. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Riverside Chats is hosted by me, Tom Noblock. I produce the show along with Ben Matukowicz through our company, Exarbin Creative. We're housed at Studio 62 at Pet Shop, right in the heart of Benson, Nebraska, headquarters of BFF. Please check out our backlog of episodes. We've got a lot of conversations with notable locals doing all kinds of crazy, exciting things, ranging from politics to entertainment to business, etc. And thank you to those of you who have subscribed to the show, who've written reviews for the show, helps us get the show out to a bigger audience. We'll be back next week with another great episode talking to another great Omaha figure. Thanks for listening.